0: On today's episode, we're going to be talking about spiritual indifference, how it is a silent killer, and why it's so dangerous on Soul Zero Two. And welcome to Soul02. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And I'm so glad to be with you today. And today it's spiritual indifference and how did I come across this? Just I've been reading through the Old Testament again, and it is such a an element of human nature to become indifferent to the values and the most important things that once were dear to us. And uh, I start out with a quote from Eric Hoffer, who wrote a book called The True Believer, and he's not a Christian. He, you know, he just talks about the history of mass movements, and it's, it's a fascinating book. And I read it back in graduate school, and uh, here, here's what the quote says. He says, "The opposite of the religious fanatic is not the fanatical atheist, but the gentle cynic who cares not whether there is a god or not." And when you when you really think about wh- what he said, that is a, a horrifying quote. That it's not it's not the the hardcore atheists, you know, the the mean atheists, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I, I know that many atheists are not mean they're nice, they're great people and all this, but there are some that really have an agenda against anything religious, right? But it's not those that that we worry about. It's It's the gentle cynic who doesn't really care that even if something is true and they know it's true, they don't really care. And so what is worse than not believing in God, perhaps worse than not believing in God, is believing that God exists but doing nothing about it. And that is the, why it's so dangerous. And imagine for a minute, if, if you found the cure to cancer, that you, you discovered a substantiated cure for cancer that a thousand scientists all over the world just approved of, and every, every uh, drug company and, and every government approved of it and said, this is truly the cure. Imagine if you had that cure in your hands, and you knew people that were dying and suffering, and you just didn't care. You just didn't even use it. And this is this is the kind of thing we're talking about here. And imagine if, if you're you're going by a burning building, and you walk by it, and and you 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 see horrible things happening in that building, and yet you don't do anything about it, right? Um, what about what about somebody attacks your house? Uh, they they come and attack your home and 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 they are attacking your family and you you do nothing to defend your family. What's the point? Uh, indifference, uh, not caring, uh, knowing that something is true, and that's why uh, in the scriptures we we read so much about these things and and we we talk about these things. But in the scriptures, there is something that we that we call. Uh, or I call it this, the urgency of light. And when I say the urgency of light, it's, it's the idea that, that of, of the definition of, of disinterest and of, 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 uh, of indifference. Indifference has been defined this way, as a lack of interest, concern, or sympathy to suspect that something is vital and not to care is more dangerous than ignorance and outright unbelief. And the Scriptures always puts a high premium on on, on this idea of of the urgency of light. Whenever God reveals Himself, something has to happen on on our end. We have to make a decision on our end, whether or not we follow Him, obey Him, or conform our lives to Him. And in the Scriptures, truth is compared to light that illumines our darkness. Once we come into contact with the truth— an urgency for action is created. It is like walking by a burning house like we talked about, right? And you can you can hear the roar of the fire and you can smell the acrid smoke and you can feel the heat on your face. But instead of running to do something, you just keep on walking like nothing ever happened. It's the same with the revelation of truth that once we know it, we are obligated to respond to it one way or another. And... Hence, John said, he put it beautifully in, in John chapter 3. And this is uh, Jesus speaking of course. He says, And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may be exposed. But those who do not, uh, who, who do what is true come to the light so that they may be clearly seen and their deeds have been done in God and and this is a scripture that is that is uh very powerful when you think about it it's 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 the idea that that light has an urgency to it and there was a famous prophet named Amos that he had prophesied against Israel and he kind of chided those who were wealthy at the time and and maybe uh, Lived these opulent lifestyles, when 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 the culture, when the whole nation was burning, right? When the whole nation was dying. And they didn't really care. And uh, he he kind of uh, he said basically this. He said, and I'll, I'll read it to you here. But he said, for those who who lie on beds of ivory. And lounge on their couches and eat lambs for their flock and calves f- for the stall. And this, this is like a picture of a real rich lifestyle in those days. Who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. And like David, I- improvise on instruments of music. Who drink wine from bowls. That was a big deal. If you drink wine from a bowl, you're rich because you have a lot of wine, right? And anoint themselves with the finest oils. that That's big in, in Middle Eastern culture to anoint yourself with oil. And he says... All that, but he says this, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Now, what he's talking about there is simply the idea that that these people they would be the first to feel the brunt of God's judgment because they didn't care that their nation was being destroyed, and they were just kind of partying on the Titanic and, and didn't really care. And we find in in this scripture that that um, that God so so carefully. Uh, targeted them. Now, is he against rich people? Absolutely not. He's not against rich people. Um, what's he, what he's against was that these people were very wealthy while the war was burning and did nothing to try to change it or, or help it. it. It was like Rome when the aristocrats were, were having parties and drinking while, while Rome was burning. And so the words of Bob Dylan ring true here. You got to serve somebody. This speaks of the urgency of light. So what happens when we witness the light of truth with complacency? We tend to open ourselves up to, to becoming the, base, the basest version of ourselves, the lowest version of ourselves. When we, when we don't follow God's way, we're going to invent our own way. And thus Romans puts it this way, Romans 128, which is a famous scripture, and if we don't serve God, we will become the person we did not wish to become. And Paul spoke of this, of what happens when darkness is confronted by the light, and the light is ignored. He said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind, to a debased mind, and to uh, and to things that should not be done. And he's talking about how how we can ruin God's nature. Uh, we can we can ruin God's nature, in in the way that we uh, um, in the way that we live by by ignoring the truth that we know, and so so think about it in this way, right? That the truth is as ancient as Solomon's proverbs, and Solomon was considered the greatest king of all time, the wisest man that ever lived. And he was, uh, when you read about him, he was incredibly brilliant and wise. He just had the wisdom of God in him. But Solomon uh, said this, basically. He said, For the waywardness kills the simple, and complacency of, of fools destroys them. And Solomon was known to, to be someone who who been there, done that, and had the T-shirt to prove it. And yet he still, uh, you know, tried to find God, right? At the end, thank God. But curiously, we find in the scriptures that God has more regard for the cold heart than for the lukewarm life. At least the cold heart has made a conscious choice not to follow God. But the lukewarm heart has withered, has whittled away its life and time by tepid disinterest. And we find God clearly having this sentiment towards the self-sufficient church of Laodicea, uh, La- Laodicea in, in, in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, where, where it says, I know your works. You are neither hot. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. And so does this mean that God looks on the atheist with more favor than the lukewarm Christian? After all, some atheists are way more committed to their cause and their beliefs than some Christians are to theirs. Maybe this is a, a question for another time. But suffice it to say that I want to close with with this simple thought that God, God is always persevering, right? And there's something about God that no matter what challenge we in our humanity present to Him, He seeks to overcome it. And He goes after us no matter where we are, no matter how lost we are. And the next time we're going to discuss some factors that fuel spiritual indifference. But for now, I just want to leave you with this simple thought. If you're cold, if you're lukewarm, if you're struggling, if you've flat out gone astray against against God, guess what? God's going to go after you in love. And if you look at the history of Israel, Israel had long bouts of spiritual indifference as evidenced in their obstinate idolatry. They just kept kept going to these high places and worshiping false gods. God always came after them, and He used spiritual cattle prods, like invading armies, like famine and and summary judgments, to bring His people back to Him. He will do the same for you today. He will always, always go after you because He's your Father and He loves you. And so God perseveres for you. And just as the prodigal son's father ran to Him, the Bible says... And if you understand uh, Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, and Middle Eastern culture, it is very embarrassing for a father to lift up his robes so that he can run and meet his son after his son has shamed him. I mean, it's a very shame culture. Uh, Asian culture, Oriental cultures are very shame cultures, and and the Bible is considered an Oriental culture in a sense. Um, But, so, imagine... A father chasing his son, that's what God did for us when he forgave us at the cross. And Jesus set the same value when he said, Hey, if, if you have a hundred sheep and you lose one, you abandon in the 99 and you go after the one. Why does God s- say that and do that? Because he's showing the watermark that he sets for us, that he loves us that much. So if you feel cold or cool towards God, know that he is still passionate for you even if you're not for him. The price he paid to get you by giving you his only son cannot be measured. So I strongly suspect that that God will seek to protect his investment. He will seek to protect that which he loves, which is which is you, of course. And since he loves you, and since he loves me, uh, it's so important to, that we understand that that uh, he's always 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 going after us. So until next time, thanks so much for listening, and check us. Check us out on YouTube and our Facebook. And uh, we upload it in different venues. Check out our website and uh, uh, soul02.com and give us a like and connect with us. It would be great to hear from you. Okay, thanks and bye.